And so, Lord, we open up our uh, word, your word to us now, and ask God you speak in Christ's name. Amen. Um, as you look at the slides, kids, you're going to notice hands throw every slide. And with every change of slide, I want you to count the hands and see how many pictures of little hands and big hands you see throughout the whole time. And at the end, I'll tell you how many hands I counted, okay? And see how accurate you are. When I was a kid, I was in a neighborhood full of kids, and we would, you know, play softball and kickball and basketball, football, and, and would wrestle each other. And I was wrestling a neighbor who was a couple years older than me, three years older, actually, but not much bigger. I was wrestling with him, and, and then I heard the church bells chime up the top of the street, meaning it's time to go home for supper. That was the cue. It's 6 o'clock. But he wouldn't get off of me. He was on top, and he was, had my arms pinned down like this, and he wouldn't get out unless, until I said, I give up. He made me say, I surrender, or uncle, or I give up. And I refused to say that. And as the minutes ticked on, I was getting a little bit more nervous, and finally he, uh, I finally said, all right, I surrender. And he let me out, he chuckled, and I ran home. I wasn't upset, but I didn't want to admit that I had to surrender. Why would anyone want to surrender and admit defeat? Well, it depends on who you're surrendering to. If you're surrendering to an enemy uh, in war time, then you'll be taken and imprisoned and, and perhaps whatever, you know? You don't want to surrender to an enemy, but if we surrender to an ally, a friend, then it'll be good, someone who wants the best for us. For example, I had a lot of coaches growing up as an athlete, and I surrendered to the will of my coaches. I submitted to what they said because I understood that my coaches wanted the best for me. And so that's a good thing. The concept of surrender is biblical. Even Jesus surrendered to his Father. In fact, he surrendered his entire life every day to God the Father. In Mark 14, nearing the end of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, we read that Jesus went a little further and he, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Please take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. He surrendered his, even the cross to his father. James 4 tells us, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, sub submit or surrender to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Well, why surrender? Ultimately, when we surrender to God, it leads to freedom leads to freedom. There are different kinds of ways to interpret freedom. 1960s and the hippie movement, that type of freedom led to bondage. You know, do whatever I want to do. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I'm free, peace, you know. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that type of freedom leads to destruction and bondage. Real freedom does not mean the absence of constraints or moral absolutes any more than if you're skydiving you go up with your friend to skydive and you say, I want to be totally free. Take this backpack off my back, this parachute. I just want to be free. Well, you'd be free until you hit the ground, right? The backpack or the parachute will allow you, that constraint, if you will, will allow you to take in the full exhilaration of the experience and enjoy it without fear. You're free from fear, free to enjoy. And Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching then you're really my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
So when we surrender to God, we're submitting to his commands, if you will, his constraints, if you will, and we'll be able to enjoy the freedom that he promises us, the freedom from all sorts of stuff, such as the freedom from fear and disease and uh, loneliness and condemnation and shame. We want to be free. In fact, right now in our country, in our world, or in our country anyway, we're experiencing four crises all at the same time. The crisis of a virus, the viral crisis, which leads to emotional crisis too, and physical crisis for some. The economic crisis, the political crisis and the division, and fourthly, the racial crisis of injustices. We all want to be free from fear. We want to be, live in peace with ourselves, with God, with each other. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free, Jesus said. But we can know the truth cognitively, which means mentally, and not experience it experientially. Even as Christians, we can know about the truth, but we, don't, we may not experience that we walk in fear or in uh, worry or whatever. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And the word know in the Old Testament Hebrew is yada, and in, he, in, in the Greek New Testament is gnosko. And this word know is not primarily informational, what we know in our heads, but it's experiential, what we do, how, what we exercise. It means we trust, it means we rely upon, depend upon, it's a term of intimacy. When I know God like this, then I'm set free when I depend upon him, when I rely upon him, when I cling to him, like a child jumping into the arms of a parent. That child is free to do so because that child has trust in a parent. The parent will always catch him. That's the knowledge of intimacy that freedom means or to know in the Bible. So how can we move from cognitive knowledge to experiential freedom? First, by surrendering to God in prayer and worship like we've been doing. The first is to confess. I confess, Lord, that I'm prone to trust in me. I want what I want when I want it. But I surrender to you because I know that you will lead me to freedom. So I'd like us to learn three postures for the remainder of the sermon in, in three parts. The first is... <coughs> You can wake up every morning and you can start your day off like this. <clears throat> Everyone do this, like you're ready to fight. All right? That's your confession. Yeah, I confess, Lord, I want to take matters into my own hands. I want to control my life. I want to uh, fight with anyone who gets in my way. I'll get angry if, if people take away my control or circumstances. But, Lord, I, I surrender to you. I know that you're in control. Okay, so that's the first posture. Everyone do this. All right? And then simply rest, relax, and do this. The first is I confess that I'm prone to fight, and if I don't get my way, then I become angry or afraid. It was like Judas Iscariot. He was getting really frustrated with Jesus because Jesus wouldn't take matters in his own hands, he thought. All these authority figures are demeaning their cause and they're, they're threatening Jesus, and Judas, after three years, was like, Ugh, I'm so angry. I'm going to take matters in my own hands if Jesus won't. And I'm going to turn him in so that he'll use his supernatural miraculous powers to overthrow the government and assume the throne as king of Israel. I think that's what Judas was thinking. But it didn't play out that way, did it? 
when Jesus was arrested in the garden, we read in 20, Matthew 26, that Peter reached for the sword and he drew it out and he tried to strike the servant of the Roman guard and kill him, but instead he cut off his ear. You know, Peter was going for the head, he got the ear. And I'm sure Judas was thinking, all right, Peter, that's it. That's what we want. Let's take over here. Let's use our strength and the miraculous power. And Jesus is about to do something great. But instead, Jesus said in verse 52, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do not think I... Do, uh, do you think I cannot call on my Father in heaven and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Call down thousands of angels now. Don't you know that, Judas? I'm in control. God is in control. I'm going to the cross on my own authority, my own choice. But when Jesus refused to carry out Judas's plan, and he went to the cross then Judas realized the mistake he had made and he went out and killed himself God wants us to surrender to his sovereign control he's in control he wants us to trust that he will fight our battles according to his will if we allow him throughout scripture he says things like be still and know that I am God I will be exalted among the nations I will be exalted in the earth I'm in control. It doesn't feel like we're in control. It says, be still. Being still doesn't mean to sit still and fidgety like I was in second grade, and I kept doing this, and on the bottom of my report card, teacher wrote, Johnny cannot keep his hands still, and he's a distraction, and on and on, you know. My teacher, you know, you know how it goes. But um, she was true. She could have made me sit on my hands, but that's not what be still means in the Bible here. Be still means uh, to let go or to abandon. Abandon your efforts. Stop striving to accomplish. Stop striving to change things on your own. Stop striving to achieve. Let go and know that God will help you. He's in control. Peter said it this way. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. He may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And we're going to see an illustration of what this looks like, what this looks like from Amy. Hey guys. Well, it's summertime, and one of my best memories of summer growing up is making a trip to the amusement park. When I was little, I wanted nothing to do with roller coasters, and I blame that all on my dad, who tricked me one year, one summer at Silver Dollar City um, with the fire in the hole roller coaster. He told me it wasn't gonna be scary, it wasn't gonna be a big deal, and I am telling you, he lied. It was the most terrifying thing that I have ever experienced, and it took me a long time to get over that. But slowly, I came around on the idea of roller coasters and started riding them. And I feel like I get the same feeling every time I ride a roller coaster. Um, it starts with um, you are thinking about whether or not to even get in line. And so you make that decision, you're gonna be brave enough, you go ahead and get in line. And then you're waiting and you have those feelings of wanting to maybe back out because um, you're just not sure if you can handle it. Um, and then you get closer and closer. Um, you start hearing all the sounds of everyone loading up into the cars, um, the cars taking off. 
Um, and then it comes time to get into the car on the roller coaster. And you're putting on your seatbelt, getting it as tight as it can go, um, and that lap bar comes and you're checking it, double checking it, making sure that it works. And then the sound of that first ascent before the big drop. Like that sound, like, makes my stomach turn. Now, just in case you've never been on a roller coaster and you don't know that sound, let me help you out with what that sound is. of those feelings come back just watching that and hearing those noises um so yeah every time i get on a roller coaster it feel i have that same experience but let me tell you there is something that's never happened to me when i've been on a roller coaster no one has ever handed me a steering wheel and said you are in control of this ride every turn you make every sharp turn you make you're going to be in control and if you do not make the right move at just the right time um you know what's going to happen you're going to fly off the tracks you're going to crash and you're going to burn and it's going to be bad like i would never want to ride a ride like that where i was responsible for not only my safety but the safety for everybody else well life is a lot like a roller coaster um sometimes there can be parts where it seems like you're just going along and you know what to expect. But then all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's a sharp turn to the right or a sharp turn to the left and it leaves you feeling whiplashed. It can be super scary if you don't have the right person in charge of the steering wheel. Well, when we surrender our lives to God, it is like we're saying, God, please take the steering wheel. And I am letting you take the steering wheel to control my life. And when that decision first happens, like we're super excited about that choice. We're super excited. Um, we have complete and total trust in God. But sometimes what starts to happen is we start to on the horizon or maybe even just coming off that first descent, that first drop, um, we start to see that sharp right turn in life. And we're just not sure if God really sees it. We're not sure if he is able to handle this curve um, this sharp right turn as well as we can handle it. So what do we do? We take control of the steering wheel. We take the steering wheel back from God um, and we try to take control. And what happens? Most of the time it ends in disaster. We fall off the tracks and then we are there wondering, looking up at God, asking God, what happened? Like, why did this happen? And his response is, you didn't let go of the steering wheel. You wouldn't give up control of the steering wheel. Surrender is trust. Trust that God will turn the steering wheel at just the right time. You know, God knew that sharp right turn is coming. He knows that sharp right turn is coming before you even get on the ride. He doesn't want to see us fall off the track either. And so that's my challenge for you this week is to maybe identify um, something in your life or an area in your life where you have tried to take the steering wheel back from God. Hold on as tightly as you can. Um, and give that control back to God. Give the steering wheel back to God. Well, thanks, Amy. And so let's uh, conclude this first section by a, a quick prayer. 
And I'll ask you to hold your hands out like this as a confession, something that you're hanging on to, trying to control, and then confess that to God right now. And then simply release that to God like this. I surrender it, okay? So let's pray. Lord, this is what we confess we're trying to control. It's causing us anxiety and fear. And Lord, we release it. We surrender it all to you, recognizing that you are in control. All right, the second posture that when you wake up in the morning, you can, again, clench your fists like this, but not like this, but just like this, like you're holding on to something, like you got money and you don't want to let, let it go, or you got candy or whatever. You're clenching your fists, and you're praying, I confess that I'm prone to hold on to things, to keep things, to hoard things, to protect things, to spend all that I have on myself rather than give it away. I surrender what I have to you. So it's like this, all right? So I'm going to do this and squeeze and then simply release. Okay, the first one is this and then this and the second one is this and then this. There's a parable that Jesus taught about a man who had all these resources and he was concerned that he'd lose them and so he, he built all these barns and he, he tore down his little barns and built bigger ones and he stored things in them and he said at the end of, um, during his life, he said, I... I want to store these things so that I have plenty of grain laid up for years so I can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God responded to him, you fool. The very night, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who, then who will get all that you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. What good is it if we gain the whole world, yet we forfeit our soul, Jesus asked. If I, anyone who knows me, I have a stash of candy in my drawer in my office, and uh, it's got a lock on it, combination, a lot. No, it doesn't. But um, if I were to give one of you kids, you know, 16, 8, 16 candy bars, say, take these to your Sunday school class, and uh, give them, uh, share them with your friends, but you take them, and then you think, 16, these little candy bears, no, they're too little. I don't, I don't want it. One's not enough for me. And so you take them and you hide them in your coat and you take them all for yourself. Wouldn't that be great? You wouldn't feel too good, would you, afterwards? Or in the same way, um, the USDA, Department of Agriculture, gave us boxes of fruit to give away to the community. And we were a station here. We had 115 large boxes of, of produce to give away. What would have happened if like the eight or nine of us on staff were to get together and say, man, we got 115 boxes of produce and it's awesome and let's just divvy it up among ourselves and take it home and put them in our cold basements or our, and then we could just have it for ourselves and our family. Let's not tell anyone. What would you think of the staff? But that's how we oftentimes live our lives. We were able to give away those 115 boxes like in an hour or something. It was amazing and it was a blessing to be a blessing. But that's, that's everything we have, all our resources, all that we own is a, given to us as a gift from God. Everything. Who we are, our talents, our material goods, our bank accounts, our homes, our cars, everything is a gift from God. 
And we can live life, the American dream, to get as much as we can so we can be comfortable, take life and be easy, and look at, look at how comfortable we are now. And if that's the case, then God will say, you fool. What good is it to gain the whole world, but at the end you forfeit your soul? Freely you have received, therefore freely give, we're told in Matthew 10. So let's do this. Let's do a prayer confession together. Lord, we confess that we are too often prone to grab onto things, to keep things, to protect what we have, to hoard things, and to spend all that we have on ourselves and on our loved ones. Instead, we choose to surrender. Now open your hands like this. We choose to surrender our control over our resources. Freely we have received, and therefore freely we will choose to give out of the overflow of your gifts to us, Lord, we pray. And let's continue in this posture as the band leads us in a prayer of giving ourselves away, and put your hands like this on your lap as you listen to these words or sing, sing with them.
give our resources and then we give ourselves third postures like this fold your arms like this and the prayer confession goes something like this I confess that I'm prone to focus on my needs my interests uh, rather than the interests of others I confess Lord that I'm quick to criticize rather uh, those who disagree with me Um, and I resist those who disagree with me I confess that Lord rather than seek to understand and learn from them Jesus wouldn't let his disciples live lives like this self-centered lives were focused on self and their own needs and interests rather he sent them out he sent out the 12 and later on he sent out the 72 in Luke 10 sent out the 72 and he said go to all these different towns the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. But know that when they were sent out, it wouldn't have been easy or comfortable or convenient. He goes on to say, go now, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, do not, and do not greet anyone on the road. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. It's going to be difficult Yet, it will be rewarding. In verse 17, when the 72 returned with joy, they said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. It's the life that we're called to, to give ourselves away like this. We're called to go out and extend ourselves on behalf of Christ and his kingdom. And until we do, we can know it all about what it's all about up here but not do it in here and if we're like that we're guilty of what James said in his epistle when he said what good is faith without works faith without works is dead in James 2.15 it's good to stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Christ of color which is, which is the racial crisis we're walking through and yesterday there were I counted eight families and there may have been more but at least eight families or couples who walked in solidarity with uh, people of color just to let them know that we want to understand you. We want to understand what you're going through. We want to be able to support you in your pain. Now, granted, there are those in other cities who are creating havoc and disruption and all that, but a good majority of folks who are marching, even across all the world, are the ones who just want peace. They, they want unity. And, uh, and so we did that. And then there were several other individuals, besides the eight families or couples, there were several other individuals from our church. And the police were there with the police's uh, force's blessing. The mayor was there. Many other officials were there. And uh, everyone was unified in McPherson. And it was awesome to see that march, that celebration, if you will. But there are places like this in Baltimore where there are thugs and, and bad people who come in and try and ransack and, and, and they're, they're not, it's not a good scene but this is a picture 
oh, I don't know if this is or not, but I, what I read, many churches after the demolition of towns, many churches and Christians gather together, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, they get together and they go up and clean the places up in businesses and they bless the business owners who have lost their places of business. That's the church of Christ giving hope to the world. And so that's what we're called to do. The darker the world, the brighter the light. And lights are not meant to be hidden under bushels. We're meant to be lights in dark places which are uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable to march yesterday. I had second thoughts about it, but I was so glad that I went and just walked with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Democrats, Republicans, Independents, we're all there together. White, black, Hispanic, every nationality, I think, just about was there as well. So let's pray this prayer together. Close your eyes and fold your arms in this confession. Lord, I confess that I'm prone to focus on my needs, to protect my interests before the interests of others, I confess that I'm quick to criticize others that disagree with my convictions. I confess that I want to be understood before I seek to understand. But Lord, I open up my arms to you like this. And I choose to offer myself as a living sacrifice that I might be salt and light in this world. That I may understand others who think differently than me. That I may uh, be a source of an instrument for unity rather than for division. I extend myself into these uncomfortable situations so that I can better understand others. Amen.